0: Amen. Well, that's a good word, Greg. And not only is it a word from God, but the God's word says that. That many, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord. And the wide road is filled with many people that leads to destruction, but the narrow road that leads to eternal life is, but a few will find it. So it is a good word that we need to recognize this morning, that it's more than just knowing about Jesus. We must have a relationship with Jesus if we want to be... In that number on that day. <clears throat> so today, I want to continue thank you for sharing, Greg I want to continue in our discussion on First Peter, and uh, we're going to focus on a couple more very important fundamental points here before we can really jump into the book, because we need to understand principle upon principle, precept upon precept. And uh, last week we spoke in great detail about the sanctifying work of the spirit. What does it mean to be sanctified? What does it mean to be sanctifying? What does it mean to be in the process? I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, and last week was a a relatively small number. It must have been caught everybody in the traveling times. But I would encourage you to go to to our website, centerpointassembly.com, and listen to that sermon. Because it does lay the foundation for where we're going forward. Sanctification and the process of being sanctified is very important to our lives. Today we're going to talk about two more aspects of what it means in the basic principles of Christianity that are also talked in about, Peter talks about, in the second verse of his book. In his introduction, he talks to us about two more areas that we need to talk about today. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, talking about us as Christians who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be unto you. Peter says in his opening greeting that we can, something that we can easily miss if we're just reading the opening to get to the next verse. So many times we look at God's scriptures and we skip through the greetings. But yet there's much truth in there because it kind of establishes the foundation of where this passage is going. So I want to stress this morning, I want to talk about the importance of what it means to be obedient to Christ and the blood of Jesus and the power of the blood of Jesus. Let's pray first. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we ask you to be glorified today. Holy Spirit, speak. Let your words be the ones spoken today. Let our hearts hear what you have for us today. Let us apply your word in our lives so that we would have relationship with you and that we would be one of the few and that we would impact many others that we should always also encourage them to come with us. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk, start talking about the blood of Jesus and why it's so important to our faith and this makes us different than many other religions about the power of the blood of Christ. Why is the blood of Jesus such an important aspect of our salvation? Why is the blood of Jesus the most important thing? Well, I believe as we look at the significance of the blood of Christ, as we go through this today, that as we see how Jesus willingly and obediently gave his life, signified by his, the giving of his blood, that his sacrifice for our benefit will allow us to take our roles and our responsibilities of being a follower of Christ a little bit more serious, and we're going to see a little bit more uh, impact in our life of how we should live intentionally and willingly in our sacrifices for Him. So today I want to talk about two major truths of what the blood of Jesus represents. Number one, the power of choice of Christ to offer his blood. Number one was the power of choice. Number two, we're going to talk about the ultimate sacrifice that it was. Let's talk about choice. First and most important thing to know is that Jesus willingly gave up his life. There was no forcing him to do this. His father did not force him, did not bully him, did not manipulate him, did nothing in any other way than to give Jesus the choice to give up his life. We have scriptures that tell us that. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14 of that same chapter. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And then 17 and 18 to that same chapter. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, what was the command that Jesus received from his father? Jesus had, was given the full authority to decide whether he was going to give his life or not. That was the command that the Father gave him. It wasn't to say, Jesus, you must die. No, he gave him the command to make a choice. Are you going to be the good shepherd, Jesus? That's his choice. That his, Jesus declaring himself as the, the good shepherd distinguishes the fact that he was willing to choose to lay down his life for the sheep. That he was willing to do that because he loves his sheep so much. That it was his total commitment to loving his sheep that makes believing in him totally different than believing in Allah or Muhammad or Buddha or any other false religion because Jesus loved his sheep. We are his sheep. And he loved us so much. Jesus came from the glories and the splendor of heaven for the sole intent, the sole purpose, to serve and to die. He didn't come to be served. He didn't come to be set up on high. He did not come that we would worship him as the king of this world. No, he came to be a servant. He came to be obedient to death. Do we get that? Do we really grasp that fact? Or is it just something that we've heard about and we say, yeah, we we believe it. But do we really get it? Because until we can understand this principle, we really don't understand God's Word. We really can't go much deeper into God's Word until we really grasp the fact that Jesus came to serve. He came to be the good shepherd. We'll come back to the power of choice a little bit later. Number two, it was a sacrifice for him to give his blood. Now, that may seem like an obvious thing to say. And we say that quite often. We talk about the blood of Christ quite often, but I'm afraid that many times we overlook it. We, we, we really overlook the impact of what it means and we minimize the concept of what it means to really sacrifice something. So let me ask you, what does it mean? What are some words that come to your mind? When I say sacrifice, what are the first words that come to your mind? Shout some out. What's it mean? Sacrifice. Something at cost. What else? What? Give up, Give up something. Let go. Think of others. Think of others. What? Pain. Yeah. Are sacrifices like this, are they easily measured in human terms? Can you easily measure a sacrifice on a scale of 1 to 10? Why not? Yeah. To really sacrifice something means that we're just not loaning it. We're just not giving it away to receive it back later. Or we're not giving them something that really doesn't mean much to us. If I'm really going to sacrifice something, I'm giving up something that I just can't live without. If I'm giving up something that I don't really need, it's not a sacrifice. I'm just giving somebody else my junk. And then they can take care of it. How many grad sailors do we have here? <laughs> Boy, I'm tempted to go on this one, but I'm not going to even mention my wife on this one. <laughs> She bits a lot of stuff that I think is junk, but, you know, she takes something that I look at and say, Chris, why? And she turns it into something beautiful. She does a great job with that and saves me a lot of money in the same time. And so I appreciate that. But I just don't get it sometimes. I'm not sure that we can truly appreciate what it means to willingly sacrifice something of great value. I don't know that we get it. Now, there are some here this morning that, that have lost loved ones in the battlefields protecting our country and for our freedoms. And probably they are the closest thing to being really able to understand what it means to to sacrifice something that they love. And I'm not minimizing their loss, but yet I don't think that anyone there would have willingly sent their son or daughter to war with the expectation that they weren't coming home. Yes, we choose to go to war we choose to send our children but in our heart we're expecting them to come home we're expecting them to make it it wasn't their choice for them to die it was their choice for them to serve yeah that's probably the closest that we can come to understanding what it was like for god to send jesus but he knew he wasn't coming back the same way he knew that when he sent jesus as the representative of of a sinful rep- uh, of mankind to be the redemption, to be the perfect sacrifice, he knew that Jesus was coming back different. Do you know that Jesus is different today in heaven than what he was before he went to Earth? He sacrificed ultimately. Yes, the service was offered, but the sacrifice of death results in something that is totally different than what it was before. Romans 3.25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received in faith. See, God was not simply loaning Jesus to the world to be a temporary sacrifice. He, He presented Christ to be a permanent, once and for all sacrifice, meaning that Jesus had to give up the most valuable thing not just life as a human, but a change in heaven because he goes back with scars where he didn't have scars before. He's a, he's a different representation. He totally sacrificed his life eternally for us. So why did God require that? When God could have settled for the blood of animals to atone for the sin as he ascribed to in the whole Old Testament. Why? Why? Well, that's a really good question, and quite honestly, that could take a long time, and it could take many biblical scholars to answer it, but let me try to give you a simple answer to the best that I can. The answer is because God ordained it, because God ordained it that way, and let me explain. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God, the creator of man, in his own image, perfect, by the way, God sent in motion some principles that as a perfect God and as a perfect judge, he cannot break. God cannot break his principles. God's righteousness and his total character of justice demands payment for disobedience. See, God is not arbitrary, He's not random, and He's not inconsistent in any way. And for that fact, I need to understand that because He's not arbitrary, because He's not random, because He's not subjective, that this is vital to us understanding this because that's why He requires a just payment for the sin of man. If He allowed any injustice... Any injustice, he would not be a good judge. A good judge is that. Good. He's good because he demands justice. He doesn't look over the sins of this person and he does, he's not subjective to this person and give this person a buy when he doesn't give this one one. He's got to be consistent. Scott, you're a law officer. How, how frustrating would it be for you to do your job, do your job and bring that person to a judge And the judge says, nah, it's not so bad. Probably happens, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) But the reality is it hurts, doesn't it? And isn't isn't it good, though, that we have a just God that cannot and will not, will not and cannot do that? In the original creation of man in God's own image, man was perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect, and they were in absolute unity with the perfect God. They had complete unity and their relationship with God was perfect. They could look God face to face because they were perfect. Their default cre- position, their default created position, was perfection with the power of choice. Perfection with the power of choice. That was how they were created. That was their default. Therefore, they needed no blood requirement, they needed no sacrifice to cover anything that they had done because they hadn't done anything wrong. They were perfect. They were already perfect in God's sight. God could look at them in perfect unity because there was no sin in their life. That's how God created them. It wasn't until imperfection came as the result of a choice to disobey God was was it then that that relationship was broken. It wasn't until they disobeyed, fell short of God's command that created sin and when that happened, they were no longer perfect, therefore they no longer could look at God face to face because anyone that looks at the perfection of God that's not perfect will die. Cannot see that. So all of a sudden, there was a, a great, a great um, chasm. Is it chasm or chasm? Yeah, either way. A great chasm was formed between man and God that they, their relationship was broken. And it was this sin that cause a separation that is impossible for them to ever reestablish on their own. We as sinful man can do nothing to get back in the relationship with God. It would require a total and perfect sacrifice to restore the relationship. That's God's justice system. Now, why blood? Why blood? You know, that... That's always kind of bothered me. I, when I was in college, I spent a year and a half with my uncle, Bob, in, in Houston. He was a pastor down there in the Assemblies of God Church. And, and I asked him this question. I said, Uncle Bob, why blood? Why did God require blood? Why couldn't God just say, oh, I don't know, I'll just forgive him? Because God can't do that. He had, it requires God. It, it was because God's perfect character because of his perfect character, that it required a total reversal, a total, undeniable, unchangeable reversal in the sin condition that would have to be had to reestablish the relationship with God. There was nothing temporary that could ever happen there. A Just a, I can forgive him, can be unforgiven. But a, he needed a sacrifice that is unrepairable, irreversible. And that sacrifice can only be found in blood that gives life everything else could be replaced or replenished but once blood is drained from the body the organs die and you could pump blood back in but you're not getting life back blood once blood is gone it's irreversible it's dead the final act of sacrifice the final act of surrender And the sacrifice is what God required to reestablish a relationship that was originally created in perfection but then was broken through a willful and a a chosen disobedience. We cannot take this lightly, folks. We cannot take the fact that it required a sacrifice of blood to reestablish, to reestablish the perfection of godly relationship. We take it so many times and we just take it for granted. We need to appreciate truly what this sacrifice was. Since it was man in human form that broke the relationship, that covenant of perfection as in, in an act of disobedience, it was going to require the obedient act or sacrifice of a human to restore that relationship. Since man broke it, the sacrifice had to come through humanity to restore it. A perfect man, however, was not to be found on the earth. Therefore, Jesus coming to earth in the form of a man, fully man, living in a life, yet remaining perfectly perfect, was the only answer to be the sacrifice that would justify or satisfy a just God. Sin came through the disobedience of one man, and sin was overcome by the obedience of one man. Sin came through Adam In disobedience. Redemption comes through Jesus in in obedience. Romans chapter 5 verses 12 and then 17 through 19. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And then skip down to verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Prior to Jesus coming and fulfilling the Old Testament, the Old Testament's process of blood atonement of animals was the best they could get. See, the Old Testament had yearly sacrifices where the the, the priest would have to, every year, sacrifice animals as perfect as they could find an animal. It had to be firstborn, it had to be a male animal, it had to be without blemish. It wasn't one you could do without. It was the best of the herd, the best of the flock, to take those and either sacrifice those as a way of covering for our sin. Hebrews ten one through four t- says this: the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now the good things that are coming in this passage are the realities of Christ's once and for all sacrifice for the sins of mankind so that no repeating of sacrifices were required. Jesus' perfect sacrifice, it it took away the requirement of an annual yearly sacrifice. See, the blood of bulls and goats only cover temporarily the sins that were committed in the previous year. They don't take them away. They just covered them. It doesn't take away the sins permanently. These sacrifices, like the law, just like the law can't save, the law only reveals sin, the sacrifices under the law only render our sin on a yearly basis, but yet they never take, it never takes away the sin. The writer in Hebrews goes on to say, starting at verse 5, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. He's talking to God, his Father. But a body you prepared for me. So Jesus is saying, I am the body that you've given me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Jesus speaking, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Verse 8. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away the sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That's Jesus. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. So this plan of salvation, according to the willing sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the power of his choice to do that, provides us the only way to eternal life. We cannot have eternal life through any other means than accepting it through the blood of Christ because of what he did. So then why is perfection? Let me ask another question. Why is perfection of sacrifice... Required, if God doesn't require perfection from me as a person because you and I know that we're not perfect. No perfect man. So why would God require a perfect sacrifice if I myself can't be perfect? Well, see, if God is perfect, then he requires us to be perfect if we're going to spend eternity with him. Nothing imperfect is in heaven. Heaven is a totally perfect environment. Everything is perfect. Not one thing out of place. Perfect. So how am I going to get there if I'm not perfect? See, if God allows imperfect people in heaven or imperfect anything in heaven, then God is not being perfect in His justice in his sin and righteousness. Therefore the removal not just a cover up, the removal of sin is required and that requires a perfect sacrifice. Because we're tainted, because we're stained with sin, we in ourselves can never be perfect. So therefore we never could spend eternity with heaven in our imperfect state. The only perfect sacrifice was in a perfect life of Jesus Christ. And when he willingly chose to live and die as that perfect sacrifice for us, for our payment of our sin and our imperfection, then when we willingly, here's the key, when we willingly choose to accept that perfect payment, God has not seen my imperfections anymore. Rather, he's seen the perfection of the blood of Christ. When I choose to walk under the fountain of the blood of Christ, The blood of Christ flows over me, removes my sin, and now when God looks at Mike Way, he doesn't see Mike Way. He sees the blood of Jesus. That's perfection. And with that, I get to heaven. But unless I have the blood of Jesus flowing over me daily, repeatedly, continuously, I'm an imperfect person. It's the power that I have to choose to continue to walk under the blood of Christ. And when I stop walking under the blood of Christ, when I start seeing something over here that the world says go for that, and it's out of the fountain, out of the blood of Christ, I'm walking away from the perfection of Christ. Now, when God sees me, he sees an imperfect man. So I walk under the blood of Christ and I don't walk ahead of it and I don't walk behind it I walk totally in line with it according to the ability that I have through the power of the Holy Spirit according to God's word and I stay under the blood of Christ and when I'm there I'm perfect therefore when Jesus says Mike why should I allow you in heaven I can say because I'm perfect under the blood of Christ that's it It's not because I was a good man down here. It's not because I gave money to people. It's not because I helped people get across the street. It's not because I was a good person. No, those are all good, but it's not perfect. The only thing that gets to heaven is perfect. That means I have to continuously walk in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why the blood is so important because it's a perfect sacrifice that takes away my sin and when that covers me, God sees me as perfect and he sees you as perfect. Now comes the obedience part. That was the part about the blood. Now the obedience part. Let me make this as simple as I can. If if I'm obedient, I will willingly... I will willingly obey the commands of Jesus because he willingly became my perfect sacrifice for my ugly sins. It's not hard, folks. We don't need to make it hard. The devil will come and he will make it difficult and he will give us confusion and he will put all kinds of other rules and regulations and all the other nonsense on it that all that's used for is to distract us from the issue of being obedient to Christ. Because he did what I can't do, I need to appreciate him and say, you know what, Jesus? All of the things of this world, all of the trappings of this world, all of the things that would want to take me away from the blood of Christ, they're not worth it. So therefore, I'm just going to focus in on you and I'm going to totally engage my life living an obedient lifestyle to you. That's easy. Not only is it easy, but it's freeing. Do you know how free it is when, when you don't have guilt? Do you know, this, isn't, and this is not a life of don'ts. This is a life of do's. I do follow Jesus. I don't live in the don'ts of what legalism brings. I grew up in that, and there was no freedom in that. There was no freedom in I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do that, what you're doing. <laughs> no, what's freedom is I do what I do to obey Jesus. That's freedom. That's joy. That's peace. Why would I not want to do that? Why would I see all the things that Jesus did for me, and why would I willingly walk away from that? It's really simple. There's no bullying, no manipulating one to think that they have to obey Christ. Any more that there was any bullying or manipulating Christ to obey his Father. We simply choose the power of choice. The power of choice is in your hands. It's who you are. You choose every day. Choose to be willing to obey john fourteen twenty three and 24 jesus replied anyone who loves me will obey my teaching my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching pretty simple these words you hear are not my own they belong to the father who sent me folks if we can't read god's word and see this is Jesus speaking, but this isn't just Jesus the man. This is God, the Father, speaking through God the Son to us, his creation, that he wants us to be not just a creation any longer, but he wants, to be child- he wants us to be children of the Most High. He wants us to be made perfect so we can then be perfect with him. It's really simple. He's a- Jesus isn't telling us a way of forcing us into obedience. Rather, he's showing us by his own obedient life that we can just as obediently and willingly obey him like he willingly and obeyed his father. It's really pretty simple. John 14, 25 and 27, all this I have spoken while still with you. Here's the, here's the deal. Jesus is with it. And maybe we can say, well, Jesus, that's easy because you're here, here right now. The, Jesus was speaking the words to the disciples. That's like me walking up to Michael Fairbairn and say, Michael, here's the deal. This is what's going on, me and you, okay? But I'm going now. I'm going, but I'm still going to make you, I'm still going to require of this of you, but I'm going, okay? So now Jesus is walking away from these guys, so you can imagine maybe what they were feeling like. Wow, you're telling me to do this, but now you're going. You're going to heaven. But Jesus says something very important for all of us today. He says, but the advocate, what's an advocate? A helper, yeah, a lawyer, he's going to defend you. An advocate is a defender. He says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I just told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I did not give to you as a world it gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Michael, I'm sending somebody better. Because I can't be with you all the time. But the Holy Spirit can be with you all the time. So when the Holy Spirit is with you all the time, He's the one teaching you, reminding you of the words that that Jesus spoke to you. So now when you get into a problem, you know, I don't know what to do here. I'm, I'm confused. Is this right or wrong? You know what you do? You open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. You say, Holy Spirit, I need you. Now some things are obvious, right? Stealing, drunkenness, sexual immorality. Some things are pretty easy. We know what's right and wrong there. So... Let me just make it a little bit easier. <laughs> if you know it's wrong to steal, don't steal. Really simple, all right? If, I, if, I, if this pen was sitting here, whatever it is, if this pen was sitting here and it wasn't mine, I'd just walk away from it. Why would I, when I just stole it? Why would I do that, right? Well, there's some other things in God's Word that are just as so simple. Sexual immorality, perversion, pornography, My thought life, drunkenness, lots of things. But yet, why do I want to make it so hard to understand that? If the word says don't gossip, then stop gossiping. Stop talking bad about somebody behind their back. Because a gossiper, a slanderer, is thrown in right in with a homosexual and a murderer. Do you know that? It's a sin, guys. So let's make it easy. If we don't know, then first of all, go back to God's Word. Are you reading God's Word? That's the place to go to. He will tell you very clearly if God's Word. Are you listening? Are you reading? Are you studying? Are you taking it to heart? Let's not make it as hard. Jackie, if you could come. The most important important part of the message is yet to come. Because this is where our power of choice comes to play just as much as Jesus' power of choice came to play. Because it was his choice to willingly be the sacrifice. It was his choice to willingly say, I will give my blood. It was his choice. Now, all that's required of us is to choose. Am I going to accept it? am I going to accept it or am I going to walk away from it if, I, if there's this little thing in your mind if there's that little man running around in your mind right now thinking you know I've heard that before and I've heard it before and I've heard it before and I've heard it before but I'm going to do my own thing anyways can I tell you that you're not on the right path There is one way to get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ is the only way. And if I think I'm going to get to heaven another way, you're listening to the wrong source. There is a God of this world, but that's a little g. It's called Satan. It's called my personal will. It's called my, it's called my ideas. It's called my version of what Scripture says. No, we need to get into God's word exactly what it says and follow it, not my version of it. So what are we choosing this morning? Who are you choosing this morning? Are you choosing the sacrifice of Christ in your life? Or are you choosing your own interpretation of what that looks like? That's why we have to understand the blood of the Christ, how important the blood of Jesus is and our our choice to obey it obedience and the blood. From this now, we can begin to get into 1 Peter and we can start to get in how do we live this out. But we had to have this foundation first. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. The name above all names. Oh, the name above all names. The names that said, I will willingly give up my life for you. If it was only you, he would have done it. If it was only me, He loved me enough to be the good shepherd to say, I will lay down my life, Mike, so that you can have life ever after. And for that, I say, thank you. And for that, I say, I will obey you because I want to, not because I have to, not to earn your love, but as an expression of my gratitude for what you've done for me. That's what life is all about. That's what being a Christian is all about. That's what it is to be one of the few on that narrow road are the ones that says, I'm going to forego the life of this world. I'm going to forego the temptations and everything that would pull me away. And I'm going to focus in on the the narrow road of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to obey you because I choose to. So this morning, as you are, eyes are closed this morning. Where are you this morning? nobody else can answer this question besides yourself are you truly committed to this lifestyle do you want to be do you want to be I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to make a stand because Jesus made a public confession Believe me, when he hung on the cross, everybody knew what he was doing. He did not hang on the cross in secret in his own little prayer life. He didn't say, no, this is between me and the Father. No, this was between him and the whole world. Everybody saw Jesus hanging on the cross. This morning, if that's who you are, would you stand up? right where you're standing. Would you stand up right right now? If that's who you are, and if you can't stand up and believe that, then don't stand up. Seriously. If that's who you are, stand up. And if you can't say that I'm declaring Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then stay seated because this is important, folks. This is the separation of who you are with God in the end. If you can't stand up, then I want to give you an opportunity to be able to stand up. Because Jesus called everybody publicly. And I I know we've gotten away from that because it's politically incorrect. But I'm going to do it right now. This morning, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if you want to, I'm asking you to come down to the front and make a public declaration that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. If he's not... I'm going to say it again. If you need to make sure, maybe you stood up and maybe you really weren't sure if you should have stood up. Everybody here in this place is on your side. I want you to know that. Everybody here has done the same thing. If you haven't acknowledged your life before Jesus, then I'm telling you that he will not acknowledge you before his father. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name and I declare who you are in my life. You are Jesus Christ, the Lord of my life, and I declare that to the world. This morning, if you want to declare that and you aren't, if you're not able to totally and honestly, I'm going to call you one more time. The front is open. We'll pray with you and we'll declare it with you. You know, there's going to come a time, folks. I don't know. The Lord's just got me stopped right here. There's going to come a time, if you're rejecting him right now, there's going to come a time when he's going to stop calling you. And understand that no man comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit calls him. You cannot say, I'm going to not do it now. I'll do it later. Because I can't say there's a later for you. I will also say this. I'm not afraid of you. I'm afraid of God, my Father. And if I don't do this, then he's going to look at me one day and say, Mike, I gave you an opportunity to give people an opportunity and you rushed through it because you were afraid of what they were thinking of you. I love you enough that I'm not afraid of you. I love you enough to give you every opportunity as Paul would say, I beg you, I beseech you to make your calling sure. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, for your people. I thank you, Lord, that your people love you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that they are choosing you. And I give you praise. We celebrate now. Now, here's the deal. Since we're all saved here, let's sing a song of celebration and let's really sing it out and let's give God praise and glory for everything that he is to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing with all we got. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your ultimate sacrifice. Now we sacrifice now of our obedience to you. Lord, help us to celebrate now who we are in Jesus, that as we leave this place, as we celebrate today, that we will be in obedience with you and that as a result, people will follow us to you because they're seeing an obedient lifestyle. They're not seeing hypocrisy. They're seeing an obedient person that loves Jesus with all their heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Blessing on this place. Blessing in your authority. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Your Amen.